0: So this past April, uh, I finished a six-year teaching program at Brock, and like most graduating students, I was hit with this feeling like, what is next? What is going to be the next move for you? I knew that the next move for me was going to be to head up to Muskoka to be a a counselor at a uh, Christian camp for the summer, but it was awkward, awkward timing. I had to wait six weeks between graduating and going up to camp. Sadly, not crossroads like most of my um, Southridge friends here, but a different Christian camp up in Muskoka, I'd be heading there uh, for the summer. So this awkward six week buffer between graduating and going to camp. I was throwing around different ideas of what I could do to fill my time during the six weeks, and I wanted to stay in Niagara for the first time in my uh, student life. I didn't want to return back to Oakville where my family is from for the first time. So I needed to find a valid reason to tell my friends and family as to why I should and could stay in Niagara. So in the spur of a moment decision, I decided to send Carrie Jones and uh, Jade Bowie, two of our family ministry pastors, an email asking if they would like to have a part-time to full-time volunteer for this six weeks. The next day I received this email. So safe to say, I had a reason to stay in Niagara. Carrie said, I love it. In our initial meeting on Zoom, of course, um, we talked through how volunteering would look and what this means. During this this, uh, little meeting, Carrie also put forward the fact that they were looking for a family ministry um, administrator. They're looking to fill a role and they asked if I would want to apply. They gave me the job description and I was there writing notes and notes and notes, showing my interest but also faking my interest. Um, in my head, I knew politely I would decline. I even called my mom after this, uh, this little meeting and said, mom, guess what? They wanna, give, they wanna offer me this job or to apply to this job. Um, and then I ended my sentence with, but I won't do that. So by the end of the week, um, I gave Carrie and Jade my no to applying for this job, but my yes to this volunteering experience. But after a few days of volunteering, I realized that my no may have been a little bit preemptive and probably a little bit more selfish. I began to recognize that God actually might be calling me to apply for this job. My initial no was based on the fact that I had just graduated teachers college. uh, There's a dire need for teachers in our world right now coming out of the the pandemic, and I knew that there was a good job probably waiting for me on the other end of the line. I also wanted to impress my family and friends, use my degree to its fullest potential, and have a good, valued, respected job. So over the first few weeks of volunteering, Carrie would kindly remind me that this job was still open and that I could still apply. She would say things like, oh, look at this desk over here. Uh, That could be yours. And each time I would chuckle and laugh and not really say anything in response, but in my head, I began recognizing that God may be calling me to this. As stars kept aligning in my life and conversations left, left me feeling God's calling on me, I began to pray about my yes. One morning, the morning of the Brave Girls retreat, I was asked to go to on by Carrie. Uh, this was probably another moment where Carrie was like, hmm, how can I get Jen to think more about this job? She asked me to come to Brave Girls. So that morning I headed to sunset beach just for some, a little alone time before I went up there and in my journal that day on the beach, I wrote this. I say, yes, I say, yes, if that's not direct enough call from God, I do not know what is the week after brave girls. I finally said yes to God and yes to Carrie. I applied for the job. And eventually I got the job as the family ministry administrator. And as I reflect on my experience of saying no, and then going to a yes, I realized that my initial no was built on selfishness, that I was seeing myself in a worldly ranking and I needed to use those things, um, way more than what God was calling me towards. I think that my no was also based on the fact that saying yes to this job was also really risky. It was a change to my plan. There was some fear involved. The plan that I had had for so long to become a full-time teacher was starting to crumble in my eyes, and I would at least put that on hold for now. But as I began to reflect on who I am in Jesus, I realized that I could trust God with my yes. As a follower of Jesus, my worth is not not put in my job, the money that I make, or how much I use my degree, or even to the fact of what I was clinging to, how much I hold true to the the plan that I had made for myself in seventh grade. In Isaiah chapter six, this mirrors the experience in this moment. Isaiah in this moment is giving God his yes. And he says, here I am, send me. Many of you have probably heard this verse before, probably preached on, probably around the fact of changing paths or a call to action from the front. But Isaiah in this moment is actually in the temple by himself. He sees God and experiences his immensity in this moment for the first time. In chapter six, verse five, he says, I was frightened and said, Oh no, I'll be destroyed. I'm not pure enough to speak to God and live among people who are not pure enough to speak to God. But I have seen the King, the Lord, all-powerful. And in this moment, Isaiah identifies his humanity. He recognizes his unworthiness in God's eyes, and he, and he shadows away from the glory of God. And I imagine Isaiah here shielding his eyes from the light and the fire that filled this room. If you read these verses, they talk about this light, this immense light that came through in this moment. And Isaiah is probably crouching down in the corner, shielding away from God. But the next part of the story is where Isaiah is awoken to his forgiveness in God. He encounters seraphim, which in one of the commentaries that I read, um, they describe seraphim as fiery angelic beings with remarkable power. So these bird type angels come to Isaiah and they touch his lip, lips with a rock or a piece of coal that is burning. And in verse 7, the seraphim say to, the, to Isaiah, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah is wiped clean. And immediately after this moment happens, in verse 8, it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? God is calling Isaiah to give him his yes in this moment. When I first hear this story of Isaiah, and I've heard it preached before, I always picture Isaiah in a crowd. I always picture God calling out to a room full of people who are equipped, strong, worthy, confident people. And I picture him actually just calling for someone to step forward. Someone to just be confident enough to step towards God and say yes with confidence. But when I look into these verses now, I see and realize that Isaiah was actually totally alone. God is calling Isaiah directly, independently, and personally. God was calling into an empty temple and Isaiah was the only one there to hear it. How scary would that have been? Knowing that God was calling Isaiah and he was probably fearing what the outcome could be, what the outcome was and really living into the fact that he is unworthy of this call. How many of us feel unworthy of God's call in our life? I know that that played a huge role in my no, in my initial no to carry. I was so overwhelmed and consumed with fear of what this role and what it meant to say yes to God and to God's call in my life. And I imagine Isaiah in this moment feeling the exact same way. I imagine him quickly trying to run out of the temple, running away from the presence of God and trying to retreat back to his verse five self, where he explained his unworthiness. In the message translation, after God calls um, Isaiah in verse eight, it continues and it says, I spoke up. Isaiah says, I spoke up. As he's running away from God, probably going as fast as he can, running a marathon, he stops. He's giving God his no, and he stands there for a second, reflects on his own redemption story that just happened, standing in the awe of the almighty God that he's just experienced. And he says, I'll go, send me. The ESV commentary actually says that God's grace leads Isaiah from woe is me to here I am. And as I reflect on my own journey, I see that my yes is kind of following a similar trajectory. My original no was based in the fact that I was consumed by my own fear and my worldly status. So I gave God my no. After careful reflection on that beach that one day before Brave Girls, uh, I recognized that the God that I serve is a God of trust. I was able to give him my yes once I allowed myself to trust him. This doesn't mean that my yes was easy. I'm still consumed by fear. As I start this job in September, I'm scared what this role will mean, how I'm going to balance and pursue God at the same time, what this means for my future. And I'm sure Isaiah felt the same way because if we keep reading in verse six, we realize what God was calling Isaiah to. He was calling Isaiah to go and tell the Israelites that they were basically all going to die and that they were never going to live in right relationship with God. I can say with confidence that Isaiah was scared of that. I know I would be. But as I get to my point, I want you guys to think about when our lives are transformed by God and when we trust God, we can give him our yes. One more time. When our lives are transformed by God and when we trust God, we can give him our yes. So the question is, where is God calling your yes? When was the last time you gave space to allow God to listen, to listen to what God is calling you towards? When thinking about your yes to God, it's important to think of this Isaiah transformation that happened. He wouldn't have been able to give God his yes before this transformation. He wouldn't have been able to say yes to this experience, to going through and giving God's word before he encountered God's presence. What does that mean for you? Um, maybe that means that you need to spend some time in the Bible, learning about the heart of Jesus. Maybe it means that you need to talk to some mentors in your life about what it truly means to trust God. Maybe it means that you need to talk to God about this. Maybe you need to spend some time in prayer and talk to God about what it means to fully lovingly trust in him before giving your yes, begin to establish trust. I like to use this analogy when I'm talking about trust with the idea of a sleepover how many of you love sleepovers? Uh, I know that I do. Um, if you're a kid going to a sleepover or a parent bringing a kid to a sleepover, I'm sure you don't just go and drop off your kid at a sleepover and say, see you later. But you probably, maybe you meet this family in the park and you have a nice, lovely interaction at the park. And, and if trust is built there, then you move up to a play date. You might drop your child off at their house for a day playdate. Once trust is built there and that happens a couple times, you then graduate to the sleepover. How can we trust God in the park visit, in the day play date, and then in the sleepover? How can that happen in our lives? Then once you trust God, and when you have building trust in God, you have to give space to listen. So I headed to a place at Sunset Beach where there was quiet and I went there at like 8 a.m. There was nobody there. And I was able to sit and be still and listen to God. Maybe this place for you is your backyard, a favorite chair. Maybe it's on a walk, just somewhere quiet. And you can allow yourself to allow God to pursue you through your thoughts and prayers. For me, what ultimately made me recognize that I needed to apply for this job was I was finding joy in the things that it was going to present to me. I would go home from volunteering each day and be so excited to be back the next day, to be part of a team and to be part of a church community and be part of a job that brought me so much joy. For you, what is bringing you joy? What themes, ideas, or experiences or feelings are appearing in your life often that show God's abundance in your life? Is God trying to call you to a yes in that moment? What pulls at your heartstrings? What actually gets you fired up? What gets you a tiny bit, maybe even angry? Can you trust God in that? It might be a new job. It might be, a, it might be a, using your gifts to volunteer at Southridge or beyond. It might be a relationship, a friendship, a trip, or, or a move. Where do your wandering thoughts lead you? Is God pulling your wandering thoughts to this place, asking for you to trust him and say yes? Now, I think it's important to recognize that saying yes to everything is not what I or God is calling you towards. Workaholism is not a godly characteristic. Our God actually rested on the seventh day and he calls us to practice the Sabbath. But coming out of the pandemic, I think that a lot of us are struggling with our yes. Because previously, we may have been living on the borderline of workaholism, burnout, and an overpacked schedule. The pandemic was a restart. We were able to, and we were actually given no's when we wanted to say yes. Our commitments and schedules became empty and possibly even filled with fear and a never-ending cycle of working from home. But now that we're emerging from the pandemic, we're holding so tightly to these yeses, trying to avoid this pre-COVID busyness. So as I begin to wrap up, I want you to recognize that Isaiah was called to one thing. He was to be called for God, to use him to give the word of God to Israel, to the people of Israel. Isaiah didn't say yes to being God's bookkeeper, his counselor, the coach of the soccer team, or the volunteer coordinator. He was just called to deliver God's word. And in my case, I wasn't called to be the new teaching pastor of Southridge, although I am sitting here in front of a camera uh, doing this sermon. But I am simply asked to be part of God's story, being part of the family ministry administrator role. Although I don't know what this means um, in the next six months, a year, five years, or 10 years, I know that my resounding yes to God in this moment on the beach will have kingdom impact for a long time. For you, where does God call you to say yes today in the small things? Where do you need God to reveal the story that he has for you? As I leave you with all these questions, I want to pray for you. That you would recognize the power of Isaiah's transformation. And as he is running towards the glowing exit sign at the back of the temple, he's running away from God's goodness and grace. But then he stopped. He spoke up and he said, I'll go send me. What could our lives, the future, and the church look like if we all gave this kind of yes to God? So let me pray for you. God, thank you for this story of Isaiah. Thank you for the life transformation that you gave him and that you showed us that you are calling us directly. Lord, I pray that you um, open the hearts of those who are listening and that those who are here that they would hear your voice and that they would hear their call. God, I pray that we can give you our yes, that we can trust you with our yes. God, I pray that we give you space for that in the next few days. In your name, amen.